everybody, and welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. I am your host, Mary Catherine Ham. I am here with my co-host, Vic Mattis of the Washington Free Beacon. Vic, how you doing? Hello, Mary Catherine. I'm doing just fine. Very busy. A very busy week because I, and I did this last year, I am a judge mm-hmm. for the very prestigious Novak Fellowship, and so I get to look over these very smart kids finalists we're in the process so no names but we're going through this are these college age kids these are no these are kids who are now out of college technically adults i guess technically so you know anywhere they're up and coming journalists okay and now that i'm already past my prime journalist right exactly september we're of the, my years we're journalist, on the down slope i yeah. can now look back and i can see and try to pick kids who would do things i did not do <laughs> and i think about it, they're all very smart and it's funny, I think back to when I started, I didn't know about these opportunities, and some of them did not yet exist. At the time, they were called Phillips Foundation Fellowships. Yes. I would have liked to have applied and then get rejected. Yeah. But that would have oh, been... Oh, I think I actually did one time. No. I think so. Really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> they make mistakes, but I try not to make mistakes now. But I have been busy, so I assume Mary Catherine... That in my absence, let's say Nicole Wallace on MSNBC Mm -hmm. probably did a whole long hour special on how inappropriate it was for the FBI to be, you know, coordinating with the Clinton campaign and for the Clinton campaign to be feeding the FBI information and Jake Sullivan, who's now the national security advisor. And for the head of the CIA to be involved in all of this. Yeah, I I assume that all happened in my absence. You know what? It's funny. That that didn't happen, Vic. That didn't happen. I have a I have a Google alert for giving Pulitzers back, revoked Pulitzers. You know, I brought strangely the, not not a not a thing that's popped up for me yet. I brought it up just to rile you up even more. I didn't know if you still had the same fervor. We've gotten some nice feedback on the fervor. People say keep it going, but it does take a toll. It does well, take a toll. I had to pick my moments, you know, or my forty minutes. Yeah, that was my forty minutes. I am still mad about it. It's appalling. No one's gonna, no one's gonna pay a price. Which it's to me, only getting worse. The problem is that just means it's gonna happen again. In fact, it already happened again. The intelligence operatives and the intelligence landscape was used to push the notion that the Hunter Biden laptop was fake, that it was disinformation. It's already happened twice because this is part of the playbook now. Yeah, to use the intelligence apparatus of the United States of America right. to sink your political opponent, like. Pretty obviously. Now, now we should say that it's not, you know, it's 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 not like everything they do is bad. For instance, they've gone after Catholics that, (laughs) you know, because as as Biden said, the greatest threat, white supremacy. You got to put the pro-lifers in jail. He just saw the movie Mississippi Burning. Oh, he's just gosh. all fired up now. So. All Which fired is a great up. movie, by the way. Well, okay. look, I, so. I, I tried to regulate my emotions. We got a big show today. We got two oh. 2024 updates. Now it can mm-hmm. be told. Yeah. Some very big now it can yeah. be told. Yes. Debt limit update. But first, but first, everyone, let's start with a Getting Hammered Investigates. Do you know what we need to investigate? What do we need to investigate? Royalty. Literal oh, royalty. Let me turn my page because I believe <laughs> I just scribbled a little note here that said Harry and Meghan underline. I have nothing else to this. Oh, okay. I saw this on Elevator News. I got news. you covered. Well, here's this. I saw it on Elevator News. And let me say this. That's the only thing you need. Yeah, although it's extremely biased. Mm-hmm. And they said, they just reported in a almost Diana-like Diana and Dodie. Yes. Like situation. Yes. Paparazzi car chase near fatal. Right. Go. What's happened? Here was the allegation. You guys can decide what you think of this, and then I'm just going to give you all the information. First, this is the allegation. Mm -hmm. Meghan Markle was at a ballroom in Manhattan, Ziegfeld Ballroom, being honored by Gloria Steinem as the Ms. Magazine Woman of Vision. Okay, already, already. Naturally. Okay, already we're off to a bad start. <laughs> so she and Harry are there, and when they emerge, something happens where they, I, this part I don't understand. They don't get into one of their vehicles. They get into a cab. and a, Like a yellow, a yes, New York yellow yes. cab. And apparently this is an attempt to. Oh, to throw them off. Evade 
paparazzi who they claim sent them on a two-hour near-catastrophic car chase around Manhattan. Now, the beauty of this particular Meghan and Harry story is that very quickly people who have seen New York were like, I don't know, man, a two-hour chase that was dangerous on the very traffic-laden, light-heavy streets of New York. That seems... That seems strange. Let's so I, let's interrogate this notion. A two-hour a two-hour two car chase, and mm-hmm. I know where Zigfield is. I right. I, 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 so I, I was going to count on you for this yes, part. I knew no, you no, would. I, I know exactly where that is in the middle, in the heart of Manhattan. So a two-hour chase. So they got five blocks. Right, exactly. <laughs> so this is the Washington Post reporting the original thing. A group of quote highly aggressive paparazzi chased a vehicle transporting Prince Harry and Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, after they attended a ceremony in New York on Tuesday, a spokeswoman for the couple said. The spokeswoman goes on to say, this relentless pursuit lasting over two hours resulted in multiple near collisions involving other drivers on the road, pedestrians, and two NYPD officers. While being a public figure comes with a level of interest from the public, it should never come at the cost of anyone's safety. I think we all agree on that. Dissemination of these images, given the ways in which they were obtained, encourages a highly intrusive practice that is dangerous to all involved. That's what they say happened. Okay. okay. So the NYPD chimes in. Serious stuff. NYPD chimes in and says, this is, of course, reminiscent of the incident that precipitated Diana's death. That is calculated. That's what this is. Because Megan is play-acting Diana at every turn, and Harry, bless him, who I think is just kind of dull. Mentally. <laughs> no, the, yeah. is, is, yeah. has not worked through a lot of stuff about this and is being sort of, in my, from what I can tell, sort of wallowing in it thanks to his sort of new-agey therapy-centered, trauma-focused life he's living in, in Montecito, right? So this is what the NYPD says about this event. On Wednesday evening, May 16th, The NYPD assisted the private security team protecting the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. There were numerous photographers that made their transport challenging. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex arrived at their destination, and there were no reported collisions, summonses, injuries, or arrests in regard. Where were they going? LaGuardia. That's that's the thing. If they're going to LaGuardia, I'm going to say everybody goes through this two-hour ordeal. To get out of so, the city, they're not alone. They it, might have thought it was traumatic. It's traumatic for everybody. We're, we're being chased. Oh, my God. So I have to get the queen. In, in a turn of events that I appreciate, media decided to start asking questions about this allegation instead of just printing it. So the Washington Post talks to the taxi driver. And the taxi driver, by the way, whatever part of, of this he had, he basically went around the block and back to where they had come from. For some reason, like he just does a turn. <laughs> I think there's two segments to this chase, allegedly. But he, he says, this is him talking to the Post. His name is Sukcharn Singh. He said he picked up Harry Meghan and, older, and an older black woman and one security guard. Her mother was with them. Around 11 p.m. on Tuesday outside New York City Police Department's 19th Precinct. He said he drove them for a brief period during which it appeared they were pursued by other vehicles. Singh estimated that the entire journey lasted 10 minutes and said that he got the impression from the group that they had been already pursued by paparazzi before entering his car. So the cab, I think, theoretically is a way to foil the paparazzi. Singh said they were pursued by two vehicles, a black Honda Accord and an older gray Honda CRV. They kept following us and coming next to the car, Singh said. They took pictures. After a few minutes, Singh said the security guard grew concerned about the photographers and asked them to return to the police station, which is where they had left from. The guard thought they were too exposed and didn't want their location shared widely. This is one of the theories that they were staying with some famous person. And so they didn't want people to know what their end destination was. So they end up just like getting together with the police and trying to figure out how to get home. But the, the main point is none of this seems near catastrophic or even dangerous. Right. And yet that's the allegation throughout. Here's ABC police sources. They told ABC News that two New York Police Department detectives were present at the Ziegfeld when Harry and Meghan emerged from the event and drove alongside the couple's private vehicle to get them home. Okay, so that's that's the first part of this. Uh Along the way, police sources 
said photographers on bicycles are visible on security cameras, but not the kind of caravan described by sources close to Harry and Meghan. The police interaction with the couple lasted no more than 20 minutes, according to police sources. If the episode lasted the two hours Meghan and Harry said it did, it was because their security felt the need to take a circuitous route back to where they were staying, the sources said, so that it's not revealed where they're staying. Got it. The police sources didn't discount the idea that whatever occurred may have been scary for those involved. Your feelings are valid, Megan. Yeah. <laughs> so it's two different car rides. I think it's probable that from leaving the ballroom to getting to their eventual destination, that whole ordeal might have been two hours. Yeah. But the idea that this was like some dangerous car chase for two hours is just not true. I would say perhaps what is most legitimately traumatic is if they were in the cab for two hours, because that would be two hours of Maria Menounos on a loop doing movie trivia. How how <laughs> dare you attack did I bring Maria her up last time? Did I bring her up last time? Maria I feel Menounos like I did. is lovely. She's great. She's a great movie. You can see her at the gas station, or you can see her in the movie theater, or perhaps in the back of a cab. That's the best part of that yeah, cab ride. Yeah, plus the weather. All right already. I know what the weather is. So it's just on a loop. Enter the paparazzi agency. Mm-hmm. Back grid. Says, we value transparency and ethics in journalism, as most paparazzi yes, agencies course, do, right? <laughs> which include providing fair and factual responses to claims. We are aware of Prince Harry's statement regarding an alleged near-catastrophic car chase involving himself, Meghan Markle, and her mother in New York City on Tuesday night. The company said in a statement to Entertainment Tonight, <laughs> we want to clarify that we have received photos and videos from freelance photographers, three of whom were in cars and one of whom was riding a bicycle. It's important to note that these photographers have a professional responsibility to cover newsworthy events, blah, blah, blah. They say they're looking into it. But they do not say like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, because right. it sounds to me very much like this agency is not sure that that's what happened. And yeah. further, from my friends who are very into the royals, I know that Backgrid is one of the agencies that Megan allegedly has called on herself before when Ooh. she's going out in California to make sure, because you know celebrities do that, yeah. to make sure that they are spotted out and about. Here's a here's a quote from one of the paparazzo. Is that how you say it? A paparazzo. A paparazzo. A paparazzo yeah, yeah, singular. Who did not want to be named, but he talks to E.T. And he says, it's customary to follow cars with celebrities in NYC, but high-speed chases are not common due to the nature of the city streets and the dense traffic. Yeah. Additionally, photographer, the photographer notes, many paps opt to use bicycles or Vespas they because do. they're faster than cars. The photographer claims that while paparazzi were following Harry and Meghan's car, multiple illegal moves by Harry and Meghan's driver were unnecessary and not at all customary with what other celebrities typically do in New York. Yeah. I'm picturing this with like it's like a private security vehicle that has been ordered by Megan to like fishtail through the streets of yeah. Manhattan as if they are being followed. We're being followed. Create drama. Turn quickly. Create the drama. You know, we're doing barrel rolls. Everyone is everyone is in dire right. danger. Except that the reason is because of the reckless driving that Harry and Meghan have ordered their security detail to do. Apparently, there's video of them blocking off streets at one point. <laughs> for for them. It's such, you know, it's such a production. That great TV series called Extras with, you know, what's his name for the British office? Oh, yes. Why, am, why are we both blanking on his name? Yes, Ricky, Ricky Gervais. Gervais. Thank you, Thank Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. Producer to the rescue. Ricky Gervais and, you know, sort of the rise and fall of, you know, a, a, a B-list actor. Right. And when he was famous, you know, he would, famous enough because he was doing a really crappy sitcom, I believe, called When the Whistle when the, uh, when the whistle Blows. Right. And he'd be like, oh, these camera people are terrible. And then when he's no longer f- famous, he goes to a restaurant, can barely get noticed in the restaurant, get, barely get seated in the restaurant, get you know treated with that kind of respect because he's a nobody. And he walks out. There are all these camera people there, not for him. And he pretends like, oh, no, not me. Please, <laughs> please stop. And, you know, it, it gives that there's a whiff of that here. Yeah. The other thing I thought this is of, this, this is like a South Park episode yeah. written already. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. They'll have a field day with this. And the other thing is the first thing that came to my mind when you were describing a supposedly two hour chase mm-hmm. in New York City mm-hmm. is the much underrated movie from the 80s volunteers with tom hanks okay. and john candy and in order to he it's a he's, good lineup he it is a, it is a good lineup and he is escaping and ends up he is escaping somebody and hanks and candy end up in thailand in the peace corps there's a whole thing about it mm-hmm. but the key is the opening scene 
is where he's evading this guy and they have a chase through New York City. And you can see the little map and it gives you the dots and everything. And he's going up and down town. Right. And, he, and, they, and they're doing it with like the background where you can see him in the fake background of the yes. city until he ends up in Cape Cod or something like that. <laughs> so that's really kind of like what they're trying to conjure up here. Well, and it's not – it just – that's just There's a couple cool. strategic errors here, right? Because I think basically everyone agrees that the first version of this is not real. Yeah. And – you know, many people say, like, why do you worry about this? Stuff? It, it actually just bothers me because often these two are telling tall tales and never it's never being examined. Yeah. Right. We just take their word for it and go, oh, my gosh, how appalling, how appalling that society has put them through this. OK, well, this time we're actually asking a few questions and a couple people are sticking up for themselves. So number one mistake, don't weave a story that involves people with actual cameras there the entire time. Right. Because the cameras will be they, running they, as it were. They have the evidence. Yeah. And there are several pictures of, of Megan in this car, quite serenely seated and not looking disturbed. Not that, you know, look, I, I also look serene and beautiful when I'm upset about something. So I, I get it. Uh, now, this is not the cab you're talking about in her private car. Yes, I think that's okay. where the, the photos Because, you know, from. if you're in a cab, you also don't want to move because you don't want to touch anything, actually. <laughs> but also... This cab driver, where they switch from their vehicle to the cab driver's vehicle, he ain't on the payroll. No, he doesn't. Somebody, care. he doesn't care. Good he's for like, him. He's like not to, not to assume too much, but he's like first generation American immigrant. Like, I don't give a damn what right. your what your story and game is, yeah. Meghan Markle. <laughs> this is what happened Duchess in my not. cab. In my cab, and here. Here he is. He's doing interviews with, with Sky News now. <laughs> He's all over the place. I was crossing on 67th Street, and then uh, the security guard hailed me. And next thing you know, Prince Harry and his wife were hopping into my cab. And as we went a block, we got blocked by a garbage truck. And all of a sudden, paparazzis came and started taking pictures. And then instead, of, they were just about to give me the location where they were going to go. But then they told me to circle back to the precinct. So we circled back to the precinct. Uh, nice people. They look nervous. I mean, I think they were ch being chased the whole day or something, so they were pretty nervous, you know. But the security guard, he was on it. And what did you think about the description of this, you know, the, the near-catastrophic event? Oh, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think that's all, you know, exaggerated and stuff like that, so don't read too much into that, you know. So, but the, as far as you were concerned, when they were in your taxi, you know, what, did you feel like you were in danger? No, no. In danger? It's, no. New York City is the safest place to be, right? There's police stations, there's cops on every corner, so there's no need to be afraid in New York. You didn't see any cars going over curbs or people banging on oh, your window? Oh, I didn't see that. No, 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 no. No, that must have happened earlier if they were being chased before on like 57, like Mayor Adam was saying, but not with me. Yeah. But they did seem nervous to you? They did seem nervous. Yeah. Was it a good tip? Yeah, it was great, man. Ten minute drive, $50 or cuts who you asked for, right? <laughs> you can't beat that. Cabby Singh, what, yeah. he ain't having this and nonsense. That's, that's a great, that's a great interview. <laughs> I bet they ate it up across the pond. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh my goodness! All right, so that's getting hammered. Investigates. I'm glad we worked it out about the two vehicles because I was confused yes, about that. That's key. Yeah, I was confused about that. Absolutely. But yeah, no, that's you're not. You are allowed to lie to everyone if you're John Brennan, the CIA director. But Megan and Harry are finally getting right. called on some stuff, right. and I appreciate that. That's right. <laughs> They're not people. Who, does, who do they think they are? Peter Strzok? <laughs> Andrew McCabe? Yes, exactly. Do you, you want another high-paying job yeah. doing commentary on public trust? All right. Let's see. Let's go to San Francisco real sure. quick. Sure. From one great American city to another. Really quick, yeah. Right. Chappelle does a surprise appearance in San Francisco, and he has some thoughts about San Francisco. He says, he says, this is an outkick write-up. Dave Chappelle is not California dreaming. In a surprise performance Thursday at San Francisco's Masonic Auditorium, the comedian offered his thoughts on the state of the city by the bay. What the F happened to this place? Chappelle asked the crowd. He ripped into the city for its homeless crisis. Chappelle said he went to an Indian restaurant a few nights earlier and watched a man defecate right in front of the restaurant. San Francisco's Tenderloin District has long been notorious for homelessness and drug use, but according to Chappelle, the entire city is now the Tenderloin. San Francisco has become half glee, half zombie show, he said. <laughs> Y'all, word I cannot say, need a Batman. Yeah, that's right. In 
San Francisco. That's it. It's not, he used, he used to great. say that San Francisco was like an ATM for him. He used to go there all the time just to do shows, and boom, you know, it was it was that easy. But it's not a pleasant experience. Like I just talked to a guy the other day, last week actually. He lives in the San Francisco area. Right. They don't actually live in mm-hmm. San Francisco. And a very good friend of mine who works for one of the big banks in one of his areas is San Francisco. So he's there a lot. They still go out to all the fancy places, so they're not in the Tenderloin or Castro, but at the same time, they can't avert their eyes anymore because right. it's more... Uh, Chappelle is right. It's more than just it's that spread. area. Right. It's not like if you're in Russian Hill, everything is great, you know, and, 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 and you're not going to see this. It's spreading, and crime is an issue. I mean, look, again, what do, what do we actually know? Whole Foods is gone, and it's not because they don't think there's enough, you know... Hippies to yeah, support to, them? Yeah, exactly. Rich it's hippies? because it's just not safe. Yeah. Target, you know, everything is under, uh, you know, lock and key. And Walmart is gone. Everything is, it's not a great place as much as it used to be for a number of reasons. You know, you go in there now, you know, you, if you bring your car in there, they say just leave it unlocked so they don't have to break your window. You should know that, you know. Oh, my gosh. That's a, so, that's a nice thing. That's a nice feature. There's a great piece at Curbed.com that I wanted to note called Spiraling in San Francisco's Doom Loop, and it's by Emily Weil. And this is the most important paragraph in it. She she writes very jarringly about what it's like to actually be in San Francisco. She does interviews with security guards, people who have yeah. to really be in it. This is the interesting part to me. A note to my fellow Sa- San Franciscans. I'm sorry. I know. There's always some story in the East Coast press about how our city is dying. San Franciscans hate those pieces. You're a stooge and a traitor for writing one. When I set out reporting, I wanted to write a debunking the doom piece myself. Yet to live in San Francisco right now to watch its streets is to realize that no one will catch you if you fall. In the first three months of 2023, 200 San Franciscans OD'd, up 41% from last year. It's like a wasteland, the guard said when I asked how San Francisco looked to him. It's like the only way to describe it. It's like a video game, like made up shit. Have you ever played Fallout? And that is that is a a lover of the city. Yeah. Writing about the city. And there's a great scene in it where she's talking about all the the trials and travails. By the way, 70% of San Franciscans cite homelessness as one of the top 3 problems in the city and drug the drug use that goes along with it. This guard by the way says some astounding things that it, like people are actual zombies. Like they're their, yeah, flesh is, their flesh is rotting in the street, and, and they're just out there. And yeah. he has to sort of kind of protect people from them, but he's not really allowed to do much. Anyway, there's this amazing scene where they're they're talking about the zombies in the street and the rampant drug use and the fact that there's no price to pay for any of this. And then we cut to a public park where they're having a drag show for kids. And, you know, on Easter, they have some campy, like, yeah. hunky Jesus drag show on Easter that they wow. do in a park. And... Someone delightedly exclaims, like, this is Ron DeSantis' worst nightmare. It's like, yeah, keep bragging, guys. Feet from the defecation yeah. at your public park. I mean, this I'm not sure I'm not sure this is the flex you think it is. Right. And and I don't think it's just Ron DeSantis or his specific supporters. I think a lot of Americans feel like they would not like that visited on their cities yeah. where they live. They don't want to be like them. It always boggled my mind that Gavin Newsom, you know, would entertain the possibility of running for president the only man in history who's made people net leave california yeah, yeah. and somehow, congratulations <laughs> and remember he ran those ads in florida yeah you know trying to one-up DeSantis and saying you know he's the real defender of freedom because we're not going to ban books you know and of except course, for the ones that we think are like yeah not woke enough those yeah. will will be those will <laughs> that's exactly right like roll of thunder hear my cry has the n-word in it so that that one yeah. Off the books. I'm sure Mark Twain as well. Or anything with a white savior like I like to kill a mockingbird. That's right. And there was also another study done recently about, they did a polling, the BART system, the Bay Area Rapid Transit, because, what's the word I'm looking for? Attendance Mm -hmm. (laughs) is is down. Usage or whatever. Usage. And so the main reason, according to the, the study, was people don't feel safe. Not because of the time isn't right for them or schedules or it's just not convenient. Rather, they do not feel safe. And if people don't feel safe, I mean, everybody has a limit. And we saw this yeah. one day, for example, recall Chase Boudin, right, yes. as their district attorney. So there is a limit. I don't know. Maybe San Francisco is coming to it soon. Along with all this, I, yeah, you can't help but think about Michael Schellenberg's San Francisco mm-hmm. or in the much older book, Season of the Witch. 
I'm reading. I'm now reading Joan Didion, by the way, because oh, I have. You. I've finally finished Tom Wolfe's Bonfire of the Vanities. You did it. You did which it. Which is very. There are a lot of applications. Just a really quick tangent. Yes. One of his characters is the the Reverend Bacon, Pastor mm-hmm. Bacon, and he's the guy who represents the kid who gets hit by the car. Right. And everyone at the time was saying that, you know, accused a wolf of racism and saying that this is a racist caricature. Right. And then, like, not long after that was Tawana Brawley and Al Sharpton is there. And, in fact, we're going to see Al Sharpton again because he's going to be the uh, presiding over the Jordan Neely funeral in New York. Oh. So it comes full circle. Anyway, I finished Bonfire, disturbing as that is, and Joan Didion on California. And basically, when things changed mm-hmm. and it got bad, then it gets better, but then it gets bad again. So I don't know if we're at that point with, like dirty, hairy San Francisco level right. bad of vigilantism, but we're beginning to see it in other places. It does feel it's not good. It does feel bad in yeah. a, in a different way. Now, obviously, I'm not a person who lives in San Francisco, but you can anyone who understands economics can understand that when you have a city that was full of a bunch of things that cater to the very affluent tech yeah. community, such as office space, restaurants, whether mm-hmm. they're fancy or casual restaurants, shopping, when you shut down a city for several years, as San Francisco basically did, that you are going to lose those economic engines. And when things, when the bottom starts to fall out, it's going to be really ugly. Yeah. And I don't think we're even there yet as far as the economics of office space in a place like San Francisco. I mean, Washington, D.C. has the same issue. All these cities have the same issue, right? And it's going to get uglier and uglier. And that's, that's the point of this this woman in San Francisco writing for Curbed is like, this is a death spiral. And we're just, yeah. we might be on the just the beginning of it. Right. Right. Because the worse yeah. it gets, the more people move out. Right. But I think. And by the time they realize it, it's too late. Well, I right? think the tipping point, such that it is for people who live in San Francisco or D.C., mm-hmm. is I think being told that what you're seeing in front of your eyes is not real. That's right. I do think that makes people angry. That's what made people angry in San Francisco about the schools closing about yeah. Chesso. Yeah. But how Boudin. do you say his name? Boudin. Boudin. Yeah, like Boudin Blanc. That <laughs> French, French name. Yes. That they were being told, no, 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 these things are good. These things are good. Right. And they knew with their eyeballs that they were not mm-hmm. good. Or being made fun of by saying, oh, big deal. You act like, you know what? You don't like getting a car jacket. It's yeah. called the city. That's Everybody gets everybody gets mugged in the city. I mean, it's, this was sort of the New York no, attitude the, the in gritty, the 70s. The under, gritty realism yeah, of yeah, getting yeah. jacked up while you're yeah, walking to your yeah. car. Oh, get used to it. Oh, you can't. You better hide in your white little suburb or wherever oh, they you're say. you're so weak. Because it's so dismissive. Yeah. And the fact is, no. You know, it, I, no, you at some treat point, people like that. There, you know, you think at some point there's got to be a politician who's going to come out and speak for the silent majority and say, you know, with a one word slogan. And that one word is going to be enough. Yeah. Right? Enough. Oh, look at you writing copy like for that. him. I did, that, I did. That was free. That was free. You can tell he's been reading Didion and yeah. Wolf, right? <laughs> I'm getting good at this. He's getting no, great. And, and things like harm reduction, is, which, yeah. which is failing. Well, at, so. at some point, you just have to realize what we are being told is compassion is actually quite cruel. Yes. And how do you shift from that? I don't want the pendulum to swing entirely the other direction. Yeah. However, what we're doing in these places is not helping humanity and it's not helping the very people that we say it's supposed to be helping which is by the way why i'm not a liberal to begin with because that seems to be nearly always the case by the way i'm I'm going to say this because nobody has offered this as their project proposal for the uh, the fellowship that i'm right. <laughs> that i'm overseeing so i'm this is my own if i were a kid mine would have been very edgy very edgy the case for institutionalization there you <laughs> go i'd be willing to read it yeah. be willing to read it all right Speaking of bad effects of the of the old pandemic that we have not fully oh, reckoned with yeah. yet. And when I say the old pandemic, what I also mean is really stupid policies. Yeah. Right. We should never allow it to be the pandemic caused because there were plenty of policies. Oh, it's a handy term. Yes. There were plenty of policies that caused bad things that we should acknowledge instead of just pretending that right. it was, oh, everyone got the big cold and what could we do? Yeah. Cold what, forced us what to not we do? get home for two years. Okay, so here's the uh, New York Times. New York Times running a running some data analysis, and they've come up with some stuff, Vic. The New York Times. Let me give you the top lines uh, on their their, their deep their deep data analysis yeah. came up with the fact that if you close schools for more than a year, 
it will deeply impact the children who don't go to those schools. And that, in fact, throw all your equitable nonsense out the window because it is the poor and minority students who are hurt the worst. My God, who could have predicted such a thing? Those kids do not have their person that they can't they're not having tutors hired by their parents mm-hmm. to take care of them when both parents are gone so the new york Working. times is, is now it can be tolding this they've been sifting through data from 7800 communities in 41 states to understand where test scores declined the most what caused those patterns and whether they are likely to endure the school districts in these communities enrolled 26 million kids in 53,000 public schools roughly 80 percent of the public k-8 through students in the country so Appreciate the effort. Could have done it in 2020, like digging into data about whether children could b- mm-hmm. go back to school. That might be, that might have been more helpful. Our detailed geographic data reveals what national tests do not. The pandemic exacerbated economic and racial educational inequality. You think? You think? In 2019, the typical student in the poorest 10% of districts scored one and a half years behind the national average for his or her year and almost four years behind students in the richest 10% of districts in both math and reading. By 2022, the typical student in the poorest districts had lost three quarters of a year in math, more than double the decline of students in the richest districts. The declines in reading scores were half as large as the math and were similarly more, much larger in poor district than rich districts. The pandemic, the, the pandemic, mm-hmm. Left, left students in low-income and predominantly minority communities even further behind their peers in richer, whiter districts than they were. And what's interesting, too, this, of course, is all correlated with how long schools were closed. And the performances and the losses are worse in places where they were closed longer, yeah. which makes sense, right? Of course, it couldn't make sense to elites three years ago, but now it makes sense. And further, what's interesting is regardless of the actual income level of the kid in a school that was closed for a long time, mm-hmm. even rich kids who had resources, their scores also fell. If the school was closed, yeah. the scores fell. Full stop. It was f- a fairly decisive part of this. Now, there are other parts of the story, which the New York Times, of course, goes into because they don't want to dwell on school closings. But the other ones actually are the pandemic, right? Yeah. Like employment loss for parents or sickness in the family. Yeah. Or depression, which I would argue also is caused by yeah. some of these bad policies. Depression, alcoholism, weight gain, exactly, drugs. abuse in the home, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and the increase in all of those for so many people. But the really decisive one is what we all said it was so very long ago. So the more we look into it, the worse the studies are. But at the same time, the people who are responsible are probably aren't going to be held accountable. Yeah, no. That's the worst part about no. it. Because I think they have two choices. One is they'll say, look, we knew it was bad. We wanted our kids to go back to school as soon as you did. I think this is what Randy uh, Weingarten said when she testified before Congress. Yeah. And it's total nonsense. But, as... but the pandemic didn't let us or our health experts would not let us. Mm-hmm. And then the health experts said, we don't make any decisions. Those people are the ones who make decisions. So nobody's ever going to take the blame. The other option is that they hope that we forget. Well, and I, and think, I think that's a that's a that's a decent bet. It's it's entirely possible. In fact, at the beginning Nobody of this piece, this piece opens with parents polling of parents who think their kids are catching up just fine, because I think a lot of people really do want to put yeah. this behind them. Yeah. That's one of the beauties of being a perpetrator of these bad policies is a lot of people just want to be like, oh, my gosh, that was a terrible right. two years. Can we just move on? Right. But the problem is if parents aren't perceiving the gap properly and schools are then covering up the gap, which is what a lot of them are doing now. They're like, oh, these test scores are bad. Let's let's just not test. It reminds me of there's a scene in Chernobyl from the yes, historic great story. Of Chernobyl. There's a there's a scene in there where they explain that. They went in and got a reading on the Geiger counters, and it wasn't that bad. It was like medium. It's yeah. a, it's fine in there, but it was because the tools they were using topped out at this moderate reading. Yeah, the Runkins. Yeah, they topped out at this moderate reading. So all the data they had suggested everything was basically yeah. okay. We'll recover from this just fine. That's what schools want to do. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, let's just use the Geiger counters that don't go to the lowest level. Yeah, yeah, that's that, the radiation's okay, guys. R- R- Randy Weingarten is like the the overseer at the reactor. Yes, not good, not bad. 
exactly. Right, well, let's, let me see bad. the results. It's right, as bad as it could be yeah, if no. we just stopped testing. John Podhoritz always used to talk about the great reckoning that was going to happen because of how awful things were because of the lockdown. Mm-hmm. And all these people, and we're going to remember come election day. That didn't really happen. No, that and and that is interesting to me because I yeah. ov- I overread that. There sure. are very few places where it happened. Obviously, Yun- Yunkin in Virginia as governor is one of the places. The Republican governor of Nevada is a place where he, sure. he ran explicitly on, hey, these guys really messed with you for the last couple of years. How about you have me? Mm-hmm. But I do think outside of electorally, we have yet to reckon with a lot of very, very serious problems yeah. that that caused. And I know people want to move on. But the learning loss and the severe mental health crisis is not going to let us move on. Three years ago, we're now in May. Three years ago was really height of pandemic policy, shutdown policy, right? right? I was talking to my daughter about it and, you know, what she remembers from three years ago when she was, you know, in fourth grade. And she remembers when they, you know, first of all, having when I had to break the news that she's not going back. Mm -hmm. And she loved you know, her classroom, she loved right. her teacher and how often she cried and the whole thing. But the other thing was when they went back finally a year and a half later or so, and it was that hybrid where two days a week, yeah, two days a week with a mask and all the desks had been cleared out because they only had room for enough desks in the classroom mm-hmm. because they were worried about, quote, overcrowding. Well, and they had to Lysol them every other day, oh, which is why you had to have absolutely. two days a week. And there was no talking. You can't talk in the classroom. You can go outside and talk. But in the classroom itself, with the masks on, eat in silence. Yeah. It was Uh, nuts. Related news from the Wall Street Journal. Young Americans are dying at alarming rates, reversing years of progress. Let me just see if you can find the thing that's not there. For decades, advances in healthcare and safety steadily drove down death rates among American children. In an alarming reversal, rates have now risen to the highest level in 15 years, Driven by homicides, drug overdoses, car accidents, and suicides. See the thing that's not in there? COVID. Yeah. COVID's not in there. We decided to keep children locked down for several years. Wasn't that supposed to be a key killer? Oh, it's a big, dangerous thing. It's so dangerous that we have to close schools and keep children out of them for Mm -hmm. 18 months. Mm -hmm. That's how important it is. The uptick among younger Americans accelerated in 2020, though COVID-19 itself wasn't a major cause of death for young people. Mm -hmm. Do tell. Though is really doing a lot of heavy work there. Researchers say social disruption caused by the pandemic policies, I'm adding that word, exacerbated public health problems, including worsening anxiety and depression, greater access to firearms, dangerous driving, and more lethal narcotics also helped push up death rates. It's not great news, guys. It's not great news. And I do not think it would be this bad. The pandemic itself, the actual thing, was going to have effects. But I don't think they needed to be this bad. And we see that in other countries where they just didn't do what we did. Yeah. That's the thing they can never answer for. Yeah. Why was it so different in other right. we comparable often, countries? We oftentimes look to Europe for guidance and enlightenment, mm-hmm. except for this. Yeah. By the and, way. And abortion laws. This is... I'm, I'm also going to spring in this one on you too, Vic, but this is, I think, instructive. This is a preprint, a study that came out this week, an analysis of tweets discussing monkeypox. Oh. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. See if you can find- This is a surprise. See if you can find the problematic trend here. Mm -hmm. Twitter is used by health professionals to relay information. This is from the executive summary. We sought to investigate the use of tweets to describe monkeypox risks to children and young people in school during summer, fall of 2022. To determine the number of tweets discussing the risk of monkeypox to children, blah, blah, blah. to determine accuracy, intera- inaccurate tweets determine if the risk was minimized or exaggerated, and describe the characteristics of the accounts and tweets which contained accurate versus accurate, inaccurate information. And what they found, lo and behold, <laughs> is that experts on Twitter routinely and the worst of anyone exaggerated the risks to children to schools in a replay of what they did in 2020 that's right and again it's almost it's almost like the intelligence snafu it's going to happen again if you let people get away with it now we try our best here. We, we now we need more listeners, obviously, in order to sort of like sway the tide. You, sway the tide. I don't know what to say. The 
the thing for the important thing that they needed to let kids know about monkeypox is that the kids need to limit their partners to less than ten. By the way, it's called impox now because I think monkeypox oh, was supposed to be yes, yes, problematic yes. It was, it was, or something. Yeah, it was yeah, not politically correct, but really, and and you know, random strangers at parties, you might want to think about I don't know being a little bit more cautious. <laughs> Just general advice, by the oh, way. Yeah. You could be inviting a murderer. I, I found this data. Found this data I was looking for. Credentialed Twitter users were 4.6 times more likely to tweet inaccurate than inac- than accurate messages. We also demonstrated how incorrect tweets can be quickly amplified by retweets and popular accounts. In the case of monkeypox in children and young people, incorrect information exaggerated the risks 100 percent of the time versus downplaying yeah. the risks. Good job, everyone. The experts are not okay, guys. There was a real monkeypox moment yes sure. and I, here's the thing i will say i will say we turned out of the out of the skit on that one there was an attempt at one point to freak everyone else i was like i was on instagram i think i said this at the time like 30 something wine moms are like should i be yeah. worried yeah and i was like oh, my kids do i need to get my kids the vax do y'all have regular orgies at your house <laughs> or what is the what is the scene what is the what is yes. the complicating factor here that i don't know about becky and did any of them say yes and do you have their emails okay <laughs> okay watch out Vic. <laughs> that's right no 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 it's true read the tweets you're gonna get in trouble all right so yeah everything's going fine yeah the right. arbiters of the information are great have i said before only trust us just us obviously i mean we're, we're unprepared well, our listeners know that but they need to tell their friends to tune in yes and trust it's true it's true. All right. Shall we do a debt limit update real sure, quick? Sure. Why not? I wanted to do it partly because, look, there's some, been some developments. As Where it stood before was that the the good folks in the House, led by Speaker Kevin McCarthy, have passed a plan that allows the government not to default. By some miracle, Senate Republicans have said, we're behind that plan. Yeah. Which never happens. Those two groups don't often agree exactly. Democrats counted on Republicans to drop this ball. Right. Understandably, that was a fair read, but they didn't. No, they want to move it to conference. So now Democrats are having to deal with the fact that Republicans have the only plan on the table. And if they stand by their original position, which was we will not negotiate and we will only take a clean debt ceiling hike, they look like the ones who are pushing default. That's right. Even with all the media's attempts to cover up for them. And they do not have their act together because no. they have a strategy, but not everybody is quite on board. Right. And Biden, Biden, of course, is not really fit for leading a strategy or, no, or it, saying the word strategy. Something terrible I shouldn't ha- talk too yeah. much junk because, of course, famously, George W. Bush could not say strat- strategy either, but <laughs> for different reasons. You knew what he meant. But uh, <laughs> the worst thing that has come out of this, by the way, is that Biden had to cancel his trip to Papua New Guinea oh, in order. I saw. I to, saw uh, Oversee. Yeah. Debt limit negotiations. During, during AAPI Heritage Month, no less. It, it's such an indignity to my people, even though it's kind of a, the New Guineans and I are we're, we're kind of a little bit regionally the same, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. otherwise not. Well, it, it was the, of course, the New York Times wrote this up with the with the take that, you know, everyone in Papua New Guinea had gotten ready and they, you know, they'd done Holiday. all this work to get ready to yes. to welcome the president and. Wouldn't you know it, those mean Republicans back home foiled it by not having this done, except like they need you to get get it done. And they also got it done a month and a half early and you are the one who hasn't done anything. At any rate, it's written up as if as if the Republicans in the Congress have betrayed the people of Papua New Guinea. But it's uh, you know what? Okay, (laughs) two things. One, I do feel bad for the Papua New Guineans, Mm -hmm. I assume. Uh, Me too. Since, you know, this is like the equivalent of that. One of my favorite movies of all time, Big Night, mm-hmm. and you know Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub run the little Italian restaurant on the Jersey Shore in the 1950s, and the rival restaurateur tells him, "Pull out all the stops. I'm bringing Louis Prima in tonight. Right, right? the great Louis Prima, the singer, is coming in tonight. He doesn't. Oh, so but they pulled out everything. They spent everything, every last time, because this right. is it. And this, this is, is how, the big. And now the the the, the pop ones are like, ah. If it were Trump, it would definitely be racist that he had skipped this. Oh, it would be such such an insult. So I'll tell you what's really interesting here. One is the blaming of Republicans. That's a very KPJ move, right? Mm -hmm. Karine Jean-Pierre, KJP 
move because she kept keeps on saying the reason why we haven't been able to resolve this crisis and this looming default is because Republicans can't get their act together. Mm-hmm. Except it, it is seems together. like all they're there's, doing is getting their act together by there's their passing. There's literally literally an yeah. act there is an, entitled that's right. we don't have to default. I don't that's think right. that's literally the that's one, right. but that's 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 what it does. They also it's interesting to me that Biden folks and Democrats are acting as if there's no actual written legislation that already does this. Mm-hmm. They're like, how could we know what the Republicans want? Well, it's written. It's it's written in a law. It's yeah. like just written down. Yeah. By the way, second look at Kevin McCarthy. Oh, yeah. Hey, look, guilty as charged, too, because I had very little hope he was going to get anything done with such a sliver of a majority in dealing with Freedom Caucus and and this whole other thing. And what kind of a headache. But man, they all got their act together. I will say this. Another strategy that seems to be working for the Republicans is not just linking the two, right? But default, raising debt ceiling and the holding in the budget. But also the idea that you have to have stricter work requirements for welfare and Medicaid. And the typical Democratic position, not the Clintonian position from the 90s, mind you, but the general Democratic attitude now is, that's heartless. Where's your compassion? And no, we refuse to do it. And in fact, Biden has just said that he does not want to link this debt ceiling negotiation with tougher work requirements. Anything. With well, anything. Well, proof of work. We're asking right. for proof of work. But so Axios did a poll on this. 80% of Republicans support proof of work. Fine. That's understandable. 66% of independents. That's a good number. And 49% of Democrats. Dang. Almost one out of two. Also, I love that work is a forty-nine fifty-one percent issue with Democrats. <laughs> yeah, with Democrats, no. So work. Yeah. How do we feel about it? I, it makes me think that at the end of the day, for most people in general, fairness still matters, right? Even if it gets branded well, as a bad thing. Let but. me let me play a quick yeah. clip of Joe Scarborough, who was a Republican, Republican member of Congress, from Florida, yeah, from Florida, in the nineties, the in the glorious nineties. Yeah, 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 yeah. At one point, put a bill on the floor suggesting the eradication of several federal agencies. Yeah. Right. He's just like, we don't need these because he was a like a true believer. This is Joe Scarborough hosting his MSNBC program. And I just deeply disagree with this form of argumentation. And it illustrates how far we are from dealing seriously with any of our debt problems. Like we got we don't have any money, guys, but we're not going to deal with it because of this kind of discussion the budget those cuts would be absolutely catastrophic what that would do of course would make getting on a plane far more dangerous would getting in a car with your family going on vacations far more dangerous uh all the safe transportation safety getting on a train far more dangerous it would make the food that you feed your children at night uh far less safe uh it would i mean you could go down the list Stephen. it's just um it's those numbers are, are, are not possible. And, and as far as the IRS goes, it would make the IRS even less responsive to taxpayers who are being audited or need a refund. Um, and, and the IRS is already operating on 1980s technology right now. Um, so I bring that up. I want you to, if you could do a couple things for me. Uh, first of all, add uh, to tell tell Americans how else their lives would be made more difficult, more dangerous if you slashed 50 percent of that 11 percent of the budget, which is all the things that we think of as government outside of the Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, the defense. This is this is the argument for freezing spending like that freezing if if the already inflated levels of spending from 2022 in our Leviathan state, if you freeze it there. This is what shall befall you, according to Joe Scarborough. This GOP bill will kill as many people as net neutrality <laughs> did. If you remember that, yes, countless, yes. countless Americans died for. Net I mean, neutrality. this is this is not a grown-up way to have a conversation. No, but it is amazing. You get paid to do it. Golly, that's what you're up against when you're having these discussions about whether we can link any of this to being responsible in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. 
I'll give you just a, the two-paragraph rundown from Liam Donovan, who I suggest you follow on Twitter if you mm-hmm. would like to know the nitty-gritty of this. LP Donovan, what's the end game look like? Short of the unlikely and messy capitulation of one side, resolution of the current impasse will require a strategically ambiguous and plausibly deniable connection between the debt limit increase on one hand and a budget deal on the other. It's fairly simple to imagine the terms of a deal both sides could live with in aggregate, but President Biden can't be seen as having paid a ransom to Republicans on the debt limit, who in turn can't be seen as caving to Biden on a clean increase. For all his insistence on an unconditional debt limit bill, the president has clearly and repeatedly signaled his willingness to negotiate on the budget. Given the reality of divided government, he has little choice but to make concessions on this side of the ledger. While it may seem like semantics, this distinction between the two, these two tracks, debt limit versus spending budget, is the best way to square the circle, providing a permission structure for Biden to engage and both sides an opportunity to save face. But we wouldn't even be there right. if Republicans hadn't put something on the oh, table yeah. to start. And they made him blink. It would have been so again. much easier again. Sorry, Kevin McCarthy. I underestimated you. It, now it can be now told. It can be told. Now it can be told. For, now, both, for both of us. Now both, it can be told by me. No. Yes. He's over there just passing stuff, making it look easy. What, what they wanted was, again, to delink the two and kick the can down the road regarding our deficit and our, our debt. But that road is coming to an end. I, I hate to keep on thinking about, you know, what, what Trump said at his town hall rally on CNN <laughs> when he said that the default is it's not a matter of if but when. But And the only way to stop that, of course, is if you do something about all he's all, all McCarthy's asking for is can we just spend the same amount that we spent last year, which is a lot of money. And, and yeah, our folks in the media are like people. So many people will die. Yeah. So many people will die, guys. Amazing. Your your children will yeah. not have unpoisoned food if we do this. Oh. All right. Should we do some good news to close? What? Yeah, let's well, do Well, two things. One, I would like to put an update out there just because it broke today. There is some reporting that Ron DeSantis will enter yeah. the 2024 race next week. So stay tuned for that. We will have much to say Big about news. it. Big news. We is- should go down to Florida for that. I'm actually going down to Florida anyway Oh, next week. how dare you. <laughs> I was going to say something else, but I can't see it on the show. <laughs> I'm going to Florida, so maybe maybe I'm part of this announcement. Do you ever think of that? Maybe someone's a little VP knob. Campaign. Oh, wow. I was going to say campaign manager, but v- okay, go right up for it. You know what? That's the Be easier great. job. It is. That. Yeah, yes, absolutely. All right. I would love that job. If Kamala can do it, I think I oh, can. piece of cake. All right. A little bit of good news. Yeah. I heard about this from a friend the other day, and I thought, oh, thank God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you and I have been spending time with the young people. Oh, this we, week. Have. I, we have. We I have. Did, I did a palm lunch yeah. with oh, Vic, <laughs> and then I did a Bobby Van's dinner with Vic's you wife. Did ste- steak, you went back to back. Shameless. <laughs> so DC, back to back steakhouses. Fantastic. Okay, but right. I was speaking to some young people, and it's not often that we get to bring you great news about young people, so yeah. this will round so out the, the show. Mm-hmm. Dumb phones may be falling out of fashion on a global scale, but it's a different story in the U.S. Companies like HMD Global, the maker of Nokia phones, continue to sell millions of mobile devices similar to those used in the early 2000s. This includes what's known as feature phones, traditional flip or slide phones that have additional features like GPS or hotspot. Quote, I think you can see it with certain Gen Z populations. They're tired of screens, said Jose Briones dumb phone influencer and moderator of the subreddit r slash dumb phones they don't know what is going on with mental health and they're trying to make cutbacks there is a a bit of a movement of gen z to go gosh i'm really being held hostage by this phone let me leave it at home sometimes but what do i need i need something where people can get in touch with me so they actually they actually have two phones which actual importance counterintuitively sounds bad but having two phones means you can take the dumb one out with you and you're not in your phone all night because yes. you're getting, you can get some text, you can send some text, you can call in an emergency. That's it. But you don't need the whole social media world at your fingertips. That's right. You can spend the remainder of your life living in real life, you know, yeah. in the moment as opposed to capturing the moment, which must, I hate doing that, by the way, because sometimes you want to cap get a video of your kid if they're performing or something. And I'm feeling like I'm not there anymore. I try to limit myself. Like, I'll I'll do, like, a verse of a song if my kids are singing, and then I shut it down just so that we have a little something to send the grandparents, and then we move on. I went to a play at my kid's school the other night where they had – they have a video you can purchase instead of having everybody doing the filming. Same. Give me the DVD. And I don't don't mind paying for that because I enjoy the experience of watching and not having to look over everybody's phones and iPads while they're they're filming. But I keep – 
seeing research over and over again that shows the more screen time, the less happy. Yeah. Particularly among minors, particularly a young among the younger, the worse, right? Yeah. The, the earlier you get a smartphone, yeah. the worse off your no, mental health ends seeing, up being. You're seeing a lot more of this. And as you know, with these polls that are coming out uh, of the younger, is it Gen Z already who was recently polled saying that, you know, a lot of them are unhappy? Yes. We don't know the full impact of this because now we're talking with generations who begin, you know, as an infant, if you're old enough to hold the phone. Right. And then going out to a restaurant or wherever, look at the phone. We don't know the full impact of that to when they become full adults. Right. And their the, dependency the digital, on The screen. digital natives, as they say. Yeah, but it's like an appendage now. Yes. And there, you, I've, you, you see these stories, studies of, of young adults who cannot live without their, I mean, they cannot actually function without uh, the phone. I actually, and one of the things I've done is attempted to set a better example by being on my phone less. And I have mm-hmm. set limits on my social media accounts because oh, that's generally you. what you end up getting sucked into. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I also am the kind of person who's like, I go, I'll go to my phone to check one calendar date and then it, we're off to the races, mm-hmm. man. This brain is not going to be under control for another 25 no. minutes, right? So I set some limits so that I at least get a warning that says, hey, you're coming up on your limit for this. That means you've spent this much time today doing this. And then you think to yourself, huh, that's a lot of time that could have been spent doing other things, yeah. right? And actually, I have successfully cut my screen time by quite a bit yeah. by doing that. It was appalling to begin with. So it's not like... <laughs> Reading books I was, versus I was threads. Like, I was like morbidly obese on the on the scale of screen time, right? So taking those first pounds off is actually the easy part. But I have I have cut it quite a bit no, to try you, to be you, a better example. You do make it a habit as part of your day, looking at your phone. Okay. You know, especially emails, texts, and then social media. And I do it almost no. like a nervous tick sometimes where I'm I just wanna, like, the space needs to be filled. The space I, needs to be filled. Yes. And that's not no, a good no, place no, to no, be. No. I, I want to I go back. I think it's great. Flip phones are great. There's a, there's a picture of me somewhere. I have to find it. It's me and in 1996 at the San Diego Republican National Convention with Andy Ferguson, our friend, right. actually. And I have on my belt holstered, holstered Blackberry. Oh, no. better. A Motorola Teltec flip phone. Heck yeah. With, with it, and if, but if you used it, the roaming charges. Mm-hmm. You like, had to take out a second mortgage for the I, roaming charges. I remember when I got my first BlackBerry. Oh, yeah. As a as part of my employment. Yes. And I didn't want one. I had tried to avoid it because I was like, I don't want to be available via email mm-hmm. all the time. That was that was a good insight yeah. from 20-something Mary Catherine. Changed my tune on that. But I didn't want to be reachable. And then I got this BlackBerry. And you remember back when like we would go to conventions, right, to the, yes. the RNC sure. or the DNC. And we did that. With such little technology. Yeah, how did we do that? How did we find each other? How did we find how anything? Did, how did we find each other? Like, okay, let's meet here at this yes. time. You know, it's just, oof. I, Sometimes it was just luck. I believe it was the 2012, or was it? It might have mm-hmm. been 2008. 2008 DNC, maybe? Okay. I was, I was at a bar meeting a friend, put my BlackBerry down. And a drunk girl across the table from me swiped it thinking <gasps> it was hers. Oh. And then I, I couldn't figure out what in the world happened. I say I, I did not happen to be inebriated, and I was like, "This is very disconcerting because I do not know what happened to this phone." I have to go to the hotel and pay long distance charges on the hotel phone to get in touch with anybody about canceling my phone, about finding out where I should go, and then this chick, who was a friend of a friend, figures out that she's stolen my BlackBerry. Oh. At which point, and this is a real, the audacity. I would love to have this amount of audacity. She's like, come meet me here and I'll give it back to you. I'm like, how <laughs> about you come meet me here? You meet me What did she here. do? What did she do? Like for a job? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. She's some she's like important some early, person. Some early techie kind of oh, I see. Like involvement. Anyway, that's my story. Of, how much of, was that hotel bill? Oh, God, I don't for the phone. You are probably the last person <laughs> who used a hotel phone with the exception of calling room to room. I know. I know. Anyway, so, but I'm a sucker. I went and met her yeah. and I got my phone back because I needed my phone. 
<laughs> I want I want to get to the point where we can go even. Fr- I want to take it further back where the new thing is. Forget about the flip phones, but corded phones. I like so it. I want a perimeter. I like it. I can't. I, I only. Ha- I can only talk. Like you here. have to go to this part of the house That's to it. talk on the phone. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Hide in the closet and then you know, yeah, close, pull the pull, the, pull the cord pri- over for privacy. For privacy. Okay, <laughs> that wraps up this episode of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and you can follow me on Twitter at Victorina Mattis. I'm at MK Hammer on Twitter at MK Hammer Time on Instagram. Thank you for getting hammered responsibly. This has been an Evolution Video podcast. <laughs>